Welcome to another episode of Black Excellence in Higher Education. Today, we have the privilege of having with us Dr. Vandine McKenzie, who is the Director of Financial Aid on our campus. Welcome, Dr. Vandine. How are you? Thank you for having me, and I'm doing well. Good, good, good. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You are like the little hidden gem over there in that office. Well, as you said, my name is Vandy McKenzie in New Mexico from Jamaica via Florida. That's how I decided to describe myself. So yes, I'm originally from Jamaica. I grew up there, went to college there, but I did grad school in Florida. And then after that, that's when I moved around a bit. So fun. I do enjoy cooking my Jamaican food, of course. I just like being around friends and family. Although I'm the only person in my family who happens to be in New Mexico. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. I am the only one here trying to get more of my family members to come and visit so they understand it's really a nice place to be. Okay, wow. So what, what led you to come um, to Florida? Well, Florida, a lot of my family members are on the East Coast. So when I was looking to do grad school, I looked around and University of South Florida was where I decided I wanted to go to grad school. So that's where I went. And since family was there, it was an easy transition for me to go to um, University of South Florida. Okay, nice. So, so tell us about your amazing um, Jamaican culture. I'm from Cleveland, and um, I know that we I used to visit um, Jamaican restaurants all the time to get the beef patties and the jerk chicken. So tell us a little bit about your amazing culture. Well, for, um, for Jamaicans, family is important. And the way you show your love in your family is through food. So... Whenever you go, if there's a gathering, the focus is on what's on the menu, what's on this. So we, we do like to get together just to have that family bond. You, if someone is a, is a friend, like a friend of your parent, it's not um, unusual for you to always tell anybody, that's my aunt, that's my uncle, because that's just the norm. It's your parent's friend. They are re- a basically viewed as a family member. So you have that close-knit support from the, your extended family who might not be related by blood, but they are your extended family. And they're totally involved in and engaged in your achievement and what you do. So you are answerable to them also. It's just a part of life. You just accept it as that and you deal with it accordingly. Of course, you know, there's the music and all of that that um, we love and we enjoy. But yes. Nice. So do you dance? What is what you do? <laughs> yes, do dance. I definitely enjoy, enjoy good music. Enjoy a variety of music. Because that's the um, interesting thing, thinking back when, you, when you're growing up on the radio in Jamaica, it played a variety of music. So because of that, you were always exposed to all genre of music, which I thought was very good. Nice, 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 nice. So talk a little bit about you. You went to um, Florida to pursue education. What did you study there? And where, where did you study? Okay, so let me, let me start out in... When I was in Jamaica, I did my bachelor's degree is in management information systems. 
I did a master's degree in community mental health counseling. <laughs> had nothing absolutely to do with my undergraduate degree. <laughs> but um, uh, in, in Jamaica, basically, on, unlike here where you have financial aid to assist students, in Jamaica, your family has to pay for you to go to college. That's oh, yeah. how, how it is. So I was interested in doing social work. My mom said I was going to starve if I did social work and she would pay for a degree in IT. So that's what I did. (laughs) She has apologized since, just so you know. But yes, so that's how comes I ended up doing that. Then, of course, I was doing my master's degree. Now I'm doing something that I really wanted to do. So that's when I went and I did community mental health Um, there. While I was at um, University of South Florida, I got a grad assistantship in the financial aid office. And like most persons who, I think like everyone who ends up in financial aid, that was never something you think of. It's not a career anybody really thinks of. It's something people just happen into. You go into it and then you're like, oh, but I like this aspect of helping people. So I started doing that and I'm like, yeah, I I really think I like doing this. And that's when now, after I finished um, my master's degree in um, community mental health, I had some bad experiences as I was doing internships. And I'm like, I really don't think that's totally for me. So then I went and I did the educational leadership doctoral program. And yes, then I can finally say, oh, I finally found what I want to be when I grow up. So that's when I definitely knew financially it was Definitely for me, I like that aspect of helping students, knowing that um, finances should not be a barrier to somebody achieving their educational goals. And the fact that I can assist the person through that process, I really like that aspect of um, student services. Yeah, so that's sort of a form of social work um, because you do help people. Um, So you talked a little bit about the whole internships. And so can you speak to the value? Because that is ultimately how you found your niche, it sounds like. And you also found out what was not good or what wasn't a good fit for you. Yes, I would really advise anybody in in any career they're thinking of going into. They really, if they can get an internship, assistantship, or even just shadowing people, if they can't get that shadow someone, if they can't shadow a person, find someone to just sit and talk with about the reality of the day-to-day aspect of the job, not just the part that you might have seen or you think you know, but the real day-to-day aspect of the job to see, you want the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me see what it is to know, is this something I can do on a daily basis? Looking forward, when I wake up, I will look forward to going to work and doing this every day. It is essential because a lot of persons have a perception of what um, something is, but then when they actually get into it, they're like, oh, this is just a drag. I I just don't want to deal with this anymore. But if you can find just that specific aspect of whatever your career goal is that is for you, it is awesome. So that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, What would you say to a student that is interested in, um, well, well, let me back up. 
before I ask that part of the question, what would you say to students? Because oftentimes we know that when students are coming into college, they go um, maybe for the wrong reasons. Maybe they're going to appease a family, you know, a parent and following their career track. Um, or they are looking for the instant money, thinking there's going to be a, a pot of gold at the end of, um, and so they find themselves kind of like you. And I did the same thing, um, just a little bit all over the place with regards to their pursuits. What would you say to um, students about that? And also students that might be interested in following um, the ca career path that you've chosen. Well, for the students who are coming into college, I would always say, yes, you don't really have to know exactly what you're going to do. If they know, yes, I want to, I want to go to college, because that's the important thing. Because in my years in financial aid, I'm not going to say how long, it has been a while, I have seen students who have told um, staff members, I really don't want to be here. But then when they are before their parents, and the parent can't understand why we are not assisting the student like they are supposed to. But the student have already told us, I don't want my parent to know that I don't want to be here. So we can't disclose to the parent and the student, and you're trying to help the student along, say, sit and talk to your parent. It's not that you might not want to go to college right now. Right now is not for you. So you, but you have to explain instead of being here and not doing well. So the first thing that Student really needs to know, I definitely want to be there. I might not know what I want to do, or I'd, I have an idea. So yes, um, identify that they want to be in college, definitely come. And then in their first year, if they're unsure, take um, classes that are that allow them to really explore different areas. Yes, you, we don't want the student to necessarily be saying, okay, I spent four years doing this. I don't like it. Now I'm going to spend an additional couple of years. So that first year, just try and take courses that are broad enough where you can get to more, more of a feel and then start doing their own research on different areas. I know like um, career services, they do have um, interest inventory that students can take. Yes, it might give you a, a lot of options, but at least it has now directed you somewhere else to give you an idea and even for the students who are unsure, they can do those also just to see, okay, then this is an interest. Let me do some research. Does this really interest me? And they can continue to um, check on those. Also, if you, have, if you have gotten a bachelor's degree and you determine, well, that's not the career I want, that's fine. You can change your career. There is nothing wrong with changing your career because in this day and time, nobody basically stays in one career anymore. So the reality that at 18, I need to know the career that I'm going to have for the next 40 or 50 years. You don't have to. So I'm interested in this right now. That's what I got my degree in. All righty, do two, three years. It's fine to go back to school and say, well, my master's degree can be in something completely different. Yeah. And just go for it. There's an absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And, and what would you say to parents that have um, a child that is, you know, a senior or a junior in high school and, and, you know, they're beginning to have those conversations and laying out the expectations of going to college? You know, what would you say from a financial aid perspective? What would you say to those parents? Well, one thing I would say um, 
for the parents not to put um, their view of what they believe the child should do in college. They should more be, allow the child to explore. Allow them also to apply to as much colleges as they want to apply to. They don't have to, a student who is a junior in high school doesn't have to identify, I want to go to X college at this point in time. Okay, we have it down, you want to go to college? Apply as broadly as possible and see where all the different places you get accepted. That's fine. You don't have to narrow it down until much later. And um, for me, I would really prefer for the parent to have been having that discussion from a much younger age, because um, I remember um, some years ago, my cousin in Florida, when she was in college, because she was talking about, oh, this person that she knew did not go to college, and she couldn't believe it. So we were saying not everybody goes to college. She said, that was an option for me. She never knew it was an option not to go to college because that was a discussion we, were, we would always have. Oh, when you go to college, you're going to do this. When you go to college, yes, you're going to have fun, but you need to get the schoolwork done. So from she was young, it was just always, it was just the expected next step for her. So it's almost as I went to elementary, I went to middle school, I went to high school, I'm going to college. So there was no... No discussion of her never going. So because of that, so it's just something that is there that that discussion just continually happens. But when they're juniors and seniors, it's the discussion about, okay, how the, what's going to happen when they go off to college, um, getting all the different things in line, doing the different things that need to be done early. Because one of the things I know I see every day, day even the students knew they were going to college. They applied early, but the financial aid portion doesn't get, get taken care of until much later. So it's to understand there are different things that must happen along the way, and it's best to get it out the way, get it taken care of early, so you know exactly where you stand. So you won't have any surprises when you get here. Oh, but this isn't enough. Or if I had done X at this point in time, that would have allowed me to have gotten additional amount of funding because... I missed that deadline, so now I'm not getting it. So it's really important to know the different deadlines for things and just to get stuff done early so you know exactly where you are and you're not surprised. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I remember back um, home in, in, in Cleveland where we would every year take students on college tours starting in seventh grade. And the uh, campus advisors, we would do HBCU tours. And all across this, um, this uh, the country. And one of the things that the repeated advice was that you need to begin to have the conversations much earlier than uh, senior, junior and senior in high school, because the students need to know about those tracks and those, um, those check boxes, as you mentioned, um, that they need to be paying attention to and also aligning themselves with whatever uh, career that they may be interested in, you know, taking some of those classes um, mm -hmm. in high school that might, you know, help them to explore even before getting to the college level. And I also think uh, one of the other benefits that uh, we used to have in Cleveland was summer youth employment programs. And I don't think that we have those too much here, but it gave students an opportunity beginning um, at age 14 to explore careers in the, you know, during the summer that they might be um, definitely interested in. So thanks for sharing that wisdom. I think 
it's very important that parents understand that, you know, it's financially speaking, it, it, it behooves them to have those conversations, as especially when you think about if they're having to pay out of pocket. You know, you don't want to be throwing money away just for the sake of saying that I forced my child to go to college, you know. And so thanks for sharing that. And, and um, that summer, summer thing that you're talking about also, if the student has an idea of a career, if they could get into that environment and see it for themselves, that would be beneficial. Yes, definitely. I know that there's a Haslow Foundation that starts, I think, in middle school where it uh, the Haslow Foundation provides money um, for students to do different projects that they might be interested in. And so they could use it to pay for supplies or, or something that they're interested in and they pair them with a mentor. I know one of the young ladies that I uh, worked very closely with at Lynn Middle School, uh, she was interested in recording a CD and she did using the money um, that she got from the Haslow Foundation, she was able to record her own CD. So I thought that that was really good. So thanks so much for sharing about that. So now I've already told everyone that you are the director of financial aid. Can you talk about, I know you said that you weren't going to say how long you've been at NMSU. um, So I'm going to respect that. Um, But can you at least tell us how did you get to NMSU and what was the appeal Uh, Because a part of this podcast is somewhat of a recruitment tool just to share information and insight about prospective uh, faculty and staff that might be looking to call NMSU home. So what appealed to you about NMSU? Well, okay, I've been at NMSU eight years. I've been at the Las Cruces campus. I've been here four years. I was at the Alamogordo campus, but have been in financial aid 20 years. Okay. Two zero? Yes, I've been in financial aid a long time. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I have always been fascinated by the Southwest. When I decided, okay, I'm looking for for a job, I decided most persons thinking on it would have said, you know, I will go on a vacation to the Southwest. I'll go on a couple vacations. No, I decided I'm looking for a job and I'm moving to the Southwest. (laughs) So... That's what you literally I just moved. I just moved. So, yeah, so I um, was applying and I got the job at um, the Alamo Gordo campus. So that's where I went first when I got here and I was there for four years. And then um, I applied for the job over here and I got the job and I moved over to, to Las Cruces. So, yes, I just packed up. Shipped <laughs> Um, the stuff, jumped in my car, and I drove cross-country and <laughs> moved to the Southwest. And I just wanted to live in the Southwest. Wow. So did you just kind of like randomly pull out a map and say, mm, Las Cruces or Alamogordo? Or did you, <laughs> had you heard of um, Las Cruces or um, of, the, of this region before? I had more heard about Northern New Mexico. So originally, I was more looking towards northern New Mexico. Then the opportunity came up in southern New Mexico. I'm like, okay, let's see. And I I am glad I didn't end up in northern New Mexico. Now that I've moved to southern New Mexico, I'm definitely glad I did not end up in northern New Mexico. Yeah. What would you say? Was it a culture shock when you got here? Um, I know that you spent some time in Florida before 
coming here, but um, you know, is the culture very different from your Jamaican culture? Yes, it's it's definitely different. It's different here. There, there are some foods I could get in Florida that I definitely can't get here. Um, this is this is the first time I've been somewhere that I'm landlocked. So growing up on an island, you eat a lot of seafood. And I that part of my planning I hadn't thought out that I would not have um, fresh seafood that I'm used to. So that that was one thing that was a little different for me. So it um just differences that I've seen along the way. I've, there's a lot of things that I've seen that I've just found interesting um, about the area. Yes, although it isn't, um, well, we don't get a lot of snow, but also we don't get hurricanes that, that I'm used to experiencing in Florida and in Jamaica. But um, it's a lot more brown than I'm used to. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, in the landscape, but um, to a certain extent, it is a lot more laid back than a lot of places in the US, which is more what I am used to from being in the Caribbean. So that is something I definitely like, that more laid back atmosphere of um, New Mexico. Wow. And I'm just the opposite. I'm used to the go, 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 get it done right now and not, you know, the laid backness. So I've, it's been a, a major adjustment for me, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm settling into it after five years. Um, so um, I, I wanted to just kind of circle back really quickly. Uh, we're in right now. Um, well, Black History Month. What, when you think about your culture, do you all celebrate B- Black History Month in your um, culture? To a certain extent, we don't celebrate Black History Month growing up because in Jamaica, we are the majority. When you're in a country where you are the majority, it's just the norm um, for you. We recognize our heritage. It it is taught to you in um, in school. You, you You know the history of slavery in the Caribbean. You know about your independence, what happened, but your persons who fought to end slavery, they're recognized as heroes, all of that. And we have our time of the year that we recognize our heroes, Heroes Day. And we have the, our different types of holidays where we recognize our history. So Yes, we, we know that February is Black History Month. And yes, sometimes there, there are different things that are done, but it's a little different for us that because we are the majority. So as we know, at least here in the States, that March is Women's History Month. Is that something that um, you are familiar with um, in your culture or... Um, in Florida, was that was there a celebration that happened or um, recognition that happened in Florida around Women's History Month? There would be um, some some recognition that happens around Women's History Month. Now, in um, for Jamaica, I have always looked at Jamaica as a more um, matriarchal society. So, 
our females are normally pretty dominant. So, so yes, we have had female leadership in government. We have, we have been running the country. They, they're just involved in everything, in all aspects. It's, it's the norm to see females in Jamaica leading companies, doing all of that. So it is just so ingrained in the society. And still, it is still something that we recognize. And we still say we, in Jamaica, we still want more ladies leading. But yes, so it is, um, it's just because even in Jamaica, at the university level, for decades now, it is more females who have been going to college than males. It, yes, we do recognize it, and especially for a society that is um, so matriarchal. Can you identify maybe one person that would be considered uh, famous or historical that inspires you, and then more, maybe more of a local um, person, uh, female that inspires you, inspires you? Okay. The person who inspired me, I will more say, my grandmother. She was a short little lady because basically everybody in my family is tall. Um, so my grandmother was around 5'1", but she was a woman of power. She didn't have like a college education, but she was one of the smartest persons I know when it comes to telling you, you know, different things to put in place, um, giving you financial guidance, you should do this, this is the things that you do, um, just simple things about what you need to do in life. Uh, she was always um, so on top of it. So for me, she had a very great impact on my life because I, she was around while I was growing up. So it's only logical that she would have such a big impact on my life she definitely had a great impact. And I definitely emulate her every day because of the level of impact that she had on my life. Now, historical um, female, there are a lot of um, like significant persons who are basically known that I've, there are different things about them that I can say, um, I like in relation to how they have lived their life, different things they have done, um, different paths that they have basically led that, as a, that allows us to be able to do more. I have always um, respected people like Maria Angelou because of everything that she has done, because it's the things that they have done that have blazed the path that will allow us to be able to continue in the different things that we are currently doing and also will assist us to lead that path for the persons who are coming behind us. Because whatever we do, we always have to ensure we're leaving that path for someone else to follow. Thank you. That definitely leads me to my next question about what would you say, um, just based on your lived experiences, what would you say has been the most significant accomplishment or milestone for women of color and why? I think the most significant milestone. Now, 
Let me go back into something else. When I was doing my doctoral program, I did a class, The History of Higher Education. The person who taught it, Dr. Dee Cobble Roberts, she taught it, she taught that class from minority and feminine perspective. Believe me, it was one of the most interesting class I think I had in my doctoral program. And basically everybody else in the class always said it. They're like, she would come in the class and she would just drop things. They referred to them as she dropped bombs in the class. And then she just sat down and she let us discuss it. And there was a lot of historical things that she brought up as to when um, women first um, accessed higher education and um, at Oberlin College and the different things that happened. The most significant thing for me as I see um, minority women is getting that access to education because education is what is the key. No matter what you're doing, education is the key. So to me, that was the the major significant aspect, education, especially access to higher education for women. Yes, yes. And so thinking about the progression of women, um, and you talked about having um, that professor that brought that perspective, because that's not something that is common, um, you know, um, to have a woman that, you know, will share a minority perspective, but also a uh, a gendered perspective um, when it comes to, to higher education. And so with that being said, what would you say, thinking about the progression of women in the education arena, um, and in the workforce, what would you say have been um, some great progress? And what would you say are still areas of growth when it comes to women in higher education? Okay, areas of growth. Let's start there first. Okay. I would say that the glass ceiling is still there. And that's what needs to be removed. There are a lot of qualified women, minority women who are able to do the job and they need to get access to those jobs. Yes, um, sometimes it may be that mentorship needs to happen to ensure they know how to, I don't want to say play the game, but it's almost as if that, that's what it is, to ensure they are on that, play, um, that, that playing field where the decisions are being made because the decisions don't necessarily, aren't necessarily made in an office. So wherever that decision is being made, they are at that specific table where that decision is being made. So sometimes that is um, mentorship that needs to happen to ensure they are in the appropriate um, sector environment so that they can be considered. And also if for women in general to support each other. So somebody just like how you tell anybody else that you're doing good, there's that is supported and recognized. So they should be recognized for what they do and of course be promoted into positions um, that they are definitely qualified to be in. And the other part of the question? Um, Just about um, significant um, progress that you think has happened. Um, with women and uh, women of color in higher education. Okay, 
the, the, the definite progress, uh, a lot more of um, women of color are getting higher degrees, which is a wonderful thing. So as more of us get those higher degrees, it is, it is setting us up um, to take the next step in their career so they can move up and start leading more, um, taking more leadership roles and leading more um, institutions of higher education. So it's, it's just, it's, that is part of the progression. So as more, more um, women of color are getting higher education, getting those doctoral degrees, then that's where the next part comes in, where that glass ceiling has to be removed. Yes, yes. And what would you, you talked about this a little bit um, in your previous statement. Um, you talk about celebrating each other. Um, so, you know, in Black programs, we have the success through sisterhood, um, which is all about, you know, that, that you know, being on the journey and having the support of your sisters. What would you say, you know, in what ways do you celebrate sisterhood and what ways should we be celebrating sisterhood? Because I think that that is oftentimes in, um, especially in the younger generation, that that aspect of um, the journey is missing in, in a lot of regards for women of color. Well, that's the thing. It's to have, we always have to ensure we have that, um, your little network of um, friends who you know are there to support you and you are there to support them. And if something great happens for them, it, it should be all of you are, are celebrating um, that particular achievement. So uh, um, someone in your network um, wanted to achieve something they did. Okay, it should be like you have achieved it also and it's celebrated in, in that sense. So you definitely have to start building that network. And it's not a matter of building that network to the exclusion of other networks. It is just part of your support system. So whenever you know, okay, then I just need to sit back and I, I need that encouragement. I need that uplift. You know who you can go to for that uplift. Because sometimes life, life just knocks people down. Different situations happen. And sometimes you just need that. Either you just need to talk it through and you need to have a safe space to talk it through. Or you just need somebody to just uplift you at that point in time. And you need to have that support, even if it's a matter of going through grad school. Because um, that my doctoral program, I had I had a sister that I talked into starting the program with me because I knew sometimes we were just going to have days when you say, "Okay, this is just too much. I am stopping. I am not going any further." And those days were the days that she was able to say, "Okay, no, no, no. We started this together. We're going to finish it together." And the days she had those bad days, that was my job to say, we're finishing this together. So you you sometimes you just need that person. You need that cheerleader behind you. Yeah, I, I can definitely attest to that. I'm in my my last year of my PhD program. And yeah, there, there are many moments <laughs> when you're just like, okay, now why am I doing this? But yeah, I, I, I agree that that sense of sisterhood and that sense of community. And I like what you said about it's not to exclude others. It's a part of, um, it's an extension of um, the bigger um, community. So thank you for sharing that. And 
So in my role, in my interim role um, as director of black interim director of black programs, one of the things that has been very um, a priority for me is building that sense of community, but also reaching out to faculty and staff using this platform to ask the very pointed question, what can black programs do? Um, to support um, our Black faculty and staff on campus, because I think that um, there is enough of us um, that we need to, um, you know, get to know each other better, one, and also creating a network for students and and a sense of awareness for students. And so I'm very, very cognizant of the role that I have in making those connections and helping to strengthen those communities. So what would you say um, that Black programs can do to support uh, Black faculty and staff on our campus? It's more of having a space for them truly to be able to meet. Because I know at the institution I work at in Florida, it is a predominantly white institution, but they had a Black faculty and staff group, and they ensured they had those and situations because it was a huge campus so persons would be all across campus and you never know who is there and each year they made certain they had something where the new staff would be introduced to each other so people knew that they were there and they could see that there were other persons of color there so so that's one of the main things to ensure we um we just have the opportunity to know that there are other persons of color that are on the campus and we get that opportunity to meet each other. We can discuss the areas where we are in. So if there's something you need to collaborate on, you at least have this person that you are aware of. Um, it's getting to know each other and potentially if there are other opportunities where to network, um, to volunteer, to do different things. So we have that opportunity to interact outside of that regular eight to five. If there are those type of situations, that's also an option. And of course, getting the students of color involved so that they themselves can see that there are other persons of color here. Yes, yes. I, I thank you for that because that is also one of the um, missions of doing this podcast is so that we can um, introduce to some students the Black faculty and staff that they never knew existed on our campus. And, um, you know, me being new in this role, there are a lot of faculty and staff that I have not yet met. And so using this as a connection um, tool as well, for sure. So thank you. Um, so we're coming um, around the bend to the close here, but I just had a couple more questions for you. And one of those is, what would you say to prospective faculty and staff who are looking to call NMSU home? Well, I would definitely tell them that if they are thinking of coming to NMSU, they should. It, NMSU is uh, a supportive environment. We um, we do support each other. It is a minority-serving institution, and as such, um, they would feel at home at NMSU. And also, as a part of supporting our students, 
it would be an opportunity for students to have more persons of color um, within the institution. Um, to, we can all work together to support our students, um, to get more faculty and staff and more students of color to be here at this minority serving institution. Thank you, thank you. And so, um, a lot of people don't get to interface with you um, as often as they probably would like. What would you say is one fa fun fact or one interesting hobby that people may not know about you? If they saw you out somewhere, they would just not believe that this is you. Every now and again, when I feel in the mood, I will pay, play my bass guitar. You play the guitar? I haven't done it in a while. <laughs> wow. I don't. Wow. I, I see something forming here. We we so I I've interviewed Dr. House. He sings and does a little DJ and Dr. Turner dance. And now you play the guitar. I, I see something happening here. We're gonna <laughs> have to we're gonna have to create some kind of <laughs> I'm gonna be the agent around here. Gonna put something together. Wow, bass guitar? Who taught you how to play that? I learned that in Jamaica. Yes. Do you still own one? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to uh orchestrate something for you to play. <laughs> I, I, I don't play for people. <laughs> it's our community. It's community building. You can cook a dish, you can bring in a dish, and we can all sit around and enjoy your dish, your Jamaican dish, and listen to your music. <laughs> I think that's a nice, I think that's a nice occasion to, to plan for. <laughs> so the one last question um, that I want to ask you before I um, allow you to have the closing remarks is what is your favorite quote? What what quote keeps you going when things are rough? Okay, then my quote it's it's a modification on something from Booker T. Washington. Now, see everything I say. I have to give you the background. In in Jamaica, um, most of the high schools, the public schools, are aligned with a church. So you do devotion every morning before classes start. And for us on Wednesdays, we always had hall worship. That's where our chaplain would come in and he would lead the worship. And he absolutely loved Booker T. Washington. So I have a bunch of Booker T. Washington quotes in my head from years of hall worship with our chaplain. <laughs> so... Right. So I know the so my modification of the one from Booker T. Washington is associate yourself with positive people for it's better to be alone than to be around negativity. So I know it's not exactly what he said because he, he had about bad company, but that's my modification for it. So I just try to associate with positive people, keep myself in that space. So if something is really going bad, I just need to find somebody who I know is positive and get me out of that place 
that negative space so I can just get back to, um, to normal or yes. whatever normal is. Yeah, I think that's very sound advice. I think especially nowadays, um, you know, peace of mind trumps everything. You know what I mean? And I think that it's extremely important because everybody can complain and everybody can, you know, um, you know, speak the negative. But you like you said, you need somebody that is positive around you to help to elevate you out of that place. So thank you. Um, Any closing remarks? Any more interesting facts you want to share? No more interesting facts. No more. But um, I must say um, to you, I have enjoyed this interview today. So thank you for um, inviting me on, on your podcast. And I, I hope this interview, if it can help any student or any person who might be thinking of coming to NMSU, that I really hope that it, um, it does. And of course, if there are any students who listen, as I always say, get your FAFSA done early, get your financial aid taken care of before the semester starts, so you don't have any problems. But definitely, always, always. And it's, I, it's, unfortunate when sometimes I'm talking to people and they keep telling me, well, I'm not going to be eligible anymore, so, so there's no point. You never know. Still go ahead and do it because there might you might not be eligible for one thing, but there may be something else. So never cut off uh, an opportunity that is there before you have even tried. And that's what people tend to do when they say, well, I'm not going to get anything, so why bother? Go ahead and do it. You never know. Yes, thank you. Um, can you tell students or parents, anybody that is interested in contacting you, how they might be able to do so and how they can, um, uh, uh, the website for the financial aid department? Well, the website for the financial aid department is fa.nmsu.edu. And that is the financial aid office um, website. Now, if somebody needs to talk to me, my number is 575 646 6014, or my email is vmcoenzi at nmsu.edu. So I am pretty easy to contact, or if they go in the phone book, I am the only Vandine in the phone book. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much. This has been um, so fun, actually. I was, I was expecting... Um, us to uh, be trudging along, but this has really been uplifting and, and enjoyable. So thank you so much, Mandane. I know that you are swamped always. And so I appreciate you taking out the time to um, share us with you. I mean, share you with us. Um, and I'm looking forward to um, implementing some of the ideas that you have shared. I think that they're very valuable. So I want to say thank you for that. And with that, again, we want to say thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Black Excellence in Higher Education. I am Kimberly York, Interim Director for Black Programs. We would love to have you engaged and involved um, with our program. You can always reach um, and find out valuable information on our website at uh, blackprograms.nmsu.edu. And you can email us at blackpro.nmsu.edu. 
And I always like to uh, close with a quote from Cesar Chavez, Chavez, which simply says, preservation of one's own culture does not require disrespect or contempt of other cultures. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week when we will sit down with Dr. Henrietta Pichon, interim dean of the College of Education. 